Hello and welcome to Bondcast, a podcast series where we discuss our views on the latest themes and events shaping rates markets. I'm Imogen Bakra, Head of Non-Dollar Rate Strategy, and I'm joined today by our Global Market Specialists, Dan Navruzzi and Joanne Spadigan. Okay, it's the US that's been driving or leading the way most of this week, I think, although we're recording this on Thursday afternoon and it feels a little bit like it could be a week of two halves with a, a major rally in the first half of this week and then as we're recording this, a, a bit of a sell-off. Jan, a lot of the rally that we saw at the beginning of this week was driven by a perceived kind of shift in narrative from Fed speakers. What's your take on that or how are you thinking about that going forwards? So if we step, step back and take a look at the data over the past couple of weeks, nothing is really collapsing in the sense that you're not really seeing these negative payroll numbers. You're not really seeing inflation surprising massively to the downside, but you're seeing everything, I'm going to say, going just right, you know, like in a, in a broader sense, uh, as in price pressures are clearly slowing down. Uh, you kind of, depending on how you look at inflation and on which type of sequential basis, but uh, if you analyze those numbers, you're kind of seeing things getting more consistently back to track. And you know, that's what that's what the Fed wanted. They didn't want to overreact to one, one piece of data, but now we have a couple months in a row where things are looking a little bit better. On the other hand, you have the, the growth side of the story, which is perhaps slowing down this morning. We got the personal spending and personal income and all, uh, all those uh, figures for October. And you know what? Q4 kicked off pretty good. I mean, uh, despite the kind of the 0.2 number on, in personal spending, in real terms, it was pretty good because the price uh, increases were lower. You know, it came in above what most uh, forecasts were, including ours. So uh, I would say so far, the stars are aligning the way the Fed wants them to be. The prices are coming down and, uh, and growth is on a positive track. Of course, it's not going to, uh, we're not going to repeat the Q3 uh, like almost like an aberration type of uh, type of you know increase in in GDP where it just got revised to five point two percent right that's like a it's a crazy big jump in the middle of just kind of like almost below trend growth spike and then we're kind of returning to trend below trend so uh, we'll see how that happens but what matters for the Fed was that now they could take a step back and I will give credit to Governor Waller who. Uh, earlier in the year was a proponent of more hikes. And this was around July when he was saying, oh, we have to tighten more. We have to uh, deliver a few more of these. There's still more work to be done, but I will be, I'm open to changing my mind if the data shifts. Well, he's been pretty central to the Fed decision-making, at least I think so. And he's been pretty aligned with the, his, I guess like his views have been kind of uh, foreshadowing what the Fed has done. So I think him taking a stance back saying, maybe we've done enough, you know, maybe, uh, at some point, we might have to kind of adjust policy to the downside and so on, just saying we don't, we don't want to overshoot, things like that. They, I think that pushed markets into believing two things. A, the Fed is truly done and there's no, there's no point in trying to fight that. And B, we could actually start seeing cuts in much earlier next year. So we're talking maybe even March. Uh, we have May in our forecast, but that look, we're feeling more and more confident. And, you know, the timing worked out well. We had our year ahead with all the kind of the trades, and so far they're working out pretty well. The like the bullish, steeper, lower volatility views have all kind of uh, played played nicely. Uh, so I think just the general view is that we've reached the top and in, in Fed hawkishness, and once you get there, the next move is likely to be cuts, and uh, people are uh, to put it kind of 
in, in one of the catchphrases, but like people, I think, would prefer to be long and wrong here than try to fight the market and chase another leg higher, which uh, from my conversations with the investor base that we talked to, it just feels, uh, you know, a very, very anti-consensus view to think we're going to see new highs or something like that. So I think that's mainly it from the U.S. and the drift that I believe is going to be towards lower yield, lower rates. I think volatility is going to keep coming down as we grind lower. And I think next year is certainly one of further bull steepening and lower yields driven by the front end, by belly, uh, and those types of expenses should perform pretty well. Of course, we're not going back to the 0% environment again, but uh, kind of like the, the 3% low threes is, is where we have uh, kind of the Fed uh, finishing out the cutting cycle. Thank you, John. I guess when we think about the year ahead calls that are now looking increasingly onside, it would be remiss, of course, to not now bring up um, the euro area and the ECB, because I think that is probably the call um, that we, well, certainly on this side of the pond, that, that we got the biggest pushback against. And in fact, I think we kind of went through um, that pushback and our take on that pretty clearly in in last week's episode so if anyone didn't listen to that then please do go back and listen but you know given the rally in duration that has you know to a certain extent been fed led this week but we've also had european inflation or euro area inflation that surprised to the downside and is trending much more closely towards the ECB's target now. Uh, Joanne, market pricing is kind of increasingly coming on side with our view that uh, the ECB could cut um, as soon as March. And, And I guess perhaps more importantly, and perhaps part of the view that we got bigger pushback on as well, was that they could could be the first of, of the G2B central banks to, to cut as well. But markets are coming more on more and more in line with that, it seems. Yes, I think for the ECB, markets really have moved quite a lot in the last week. We have around 25 basis points in cuts fully priced in by April next year. That was around 17 basis points at the start of this week. And similarly, I think quite interesting on the terminal rate being priced in, that's really shifted quite quite strongly uh, by 20 basis points for around 2.5 from 2.7. So clearly the market's moved a lot. And I think really, like you said, it's been driven by two main things. Uh, one of them being the Fed that Jan already mentioned. I think we've obviously got a lot of questions on the timing of the cycle, the sequencing. And I do think the Fed's shift uh, a little bit this week does help with that timing and sequencing, just because I think that what matters more for the ECB is not whether or not the Fed does cut, or but instead it's if they cut. And I think the data, the narrative really is moving towards the idea that, the idea that the Fed will cut next year, and perhaps even, as Jan said, as soon as March. So maybe it's not, um, so I think really that does align well with our views on the ECB that the Fed also will cut next year um, and potentially even a similar timeline for March. Um, the other thing that really stood out for this week was the euro inflation print. It came in at um, 2.4% from around 2.7% expected. So pretty, pretty big drop there uh, with softness really seen across the board in sectors except for fresh food. So I do think that this inflationary narrative in Europe continues to support the story that the ECB could actually cut in March. Um, and I do think that even though in December, what well, if we we might potentially get a, another kind of blip upwards, the direction is clearly lower and we clearly pass the peak in inflation in the euro area. Um, I mean, I, I do think that for, for markets, we've obviously moved quite a long way quite quickly. Uh, so there's obviously, obviously this question about whether we will ret- retrace 
uh, the obvious uh, the obvious thing to do at this point is if you want to follow momentum is to be long. But I think, you know, over the next couple of weeks before we get into the actual ECB meeting, there is some room to retrace. Uh, but I do think the next kind of key risk event for the European market will be the ECB meeting where we could potentially get a shift in forecasts. And that really will will and should solidify the market pricing that rate cuts could come earlier there. The other part of the ECB's policy toolbox, which we've been debating a lot and has been dominating their um, list of concerns, I think, is also on balance sheet reduction. So we had a little bit more chatter around that this week. Have your views on, on anything around QT changed? So this week was fairly interesting just because the QT comments we've received uh, just today on Thursday were actually a lot more on the hawkish side. Um, so the 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 kind of ECB sources article did suggest that the ECB could discuss TAP in December and that we could see roll-off coming quite early next year. Um, they also sort of discussed active sales and that coming in after TAP is unwound. To me, all of these comments did seem to be a bit more on the hawkish side. I think there's clearly a, a bit of a division on the committee between the hawks and the doves. So I do think I would take any comments on one particular side with a pinch of salt. Um, I think the doves are, are a little bit more cautious about unwinding PAP as well. So I don't think that a decision uh, on unwind will come in December. I think the original timeline, and I suppose the sources article that suggested that a discussion will happen in Q1 and our idea that a decision will come in Q Q1 still holds. So, I mean, I don't really see uh, any decision on PAP uh, on this side of the um, of the year, uh, at least for now, unless we get a shift in rhetoric more generally. Uh, but I do think that Q1 seems to be a good time for the ECB to consider uh, potentially shifting the timeline for PEP. Wrapping up the URA, let's move to the UK. Uh, so the BOE seems to be setting themselves apart now with some still hawkish messaging. So what do you make of that? This is interesting, particularly when, you know, I hear you talking about the euro area inflation outlook and, and the fact that we're seeing, you know, genuine broad based disinflation, I suppose, across all sectors and, and basket or parts of the basket in, in Europe. And that's very different to what we're seeing in the UK. You know, I think we talked about this last week, but inflation coming off in the UK in, in the last couple of prints has all really been about base effects driven by lower energy prices and, and lower food price inflation. Um, you know, that key key for the BOE, at least, that, that service uh, sector CPI still remains very high and and pretty consistently high. You know, it hasn't shown many signs of of tailing off yet, and and that's what I think is is most concerning for the BOE, and that's why we're seeing um, still quite ho coordinated hawkish messaging, even from those BOE members that didn't vote for a hike at the last couple of meetings. Um, and it's not just that overall inflation print, you know, you look at the data that we've had of late, you look at the uh, DMP survey, for example, the one year ahead inflation expectations continue to trend down. But when we look at the wage side of that, those survey expectations, perhaps that that is showing, you know, that deceleration that we were seeing in earlier months, is now showing signs of, of bottoming out. Um, and that's where, you know, we've been talking for a while about where we see the risks in, in Q1 being centered, the upside risks. And that all stems from, from the labor market and, and from wage inflation. Similarly, we had last week the um, uh, price indices in the PMI data, that too showed another tick up. Um, we have this 
kind of new coordinated message from the BOE around um, around the supply side impairments. We had Bailey talk about that at the Treasury Select Committee last week, uh, and then Ramsden in, in a speech last week as well. So they are leaning heavily, I think, on the hawkish elements of the data or are concerned about these things in the kind of underlying data prints, which perhaps suggests that the BOE will not be able to ease policy um, as early as it looks like other central banks will be able to, you know, especially when we think about the ECB, for example, and, and maybe even the Fed as, as Jan went through. So um, I'm not surprised to see them still peddling this quite hawkish mantra. They are very wary of, of second round effects. Um, and we don't yet have the same kind of more favorable inflation trends in the UK that, that we have elsewhere. So far, the market hasn't paid all that much attention to it. You know, the market largely in the UK has been swept up in this kind of bid for duration being led by uh, the US and, and now to some degree kind of repricing in the euro area as well. Um, but to me, it feels you, this rally feels limited in the UK without the data start these kind of more concerning parts of the data starting to turn more meaningfully you know I think we would have to see an, a bigger deceleration in wage inflation a bigger deceleration in service price inflation than we're currently expecting over the next couple of months to be comfortable um, that the BOE um, aren't hiking again and are cutting um you know by by the second half of of next year so following the autumn statement we now also have the supply calendar for the next quarter any surprises there you think no big surprises really um in the calendar especially after we, we kind of had the minutes from the uh, quarterly call anyway um I, I guess the calendar itself has served as a reminder of just how heavy you know the supply of duration is going to be not into the end of this year uh, and next quarter and and well for the rest of next year as well but we kind of know more clearly what that duration picture looks like and you know for all that supply felt heavy in the UK this year it's going to feel even heavier next year and and that as I've said on this podcast before is is a problem that um, in some ways is is going to be worse for the UK and and I think if you couple a supply side picture that is going to weigh more heavily on longer dated rates in the UK we think than it is elsewhere um, plus a still very hawkish central bank which I think will maintain this hawkish mantra well into 20 you know the early part of 2024 um, whilst at the same time you have the ECB who's reacting to inflation that is now very close to its target, we're probably likely to see you know, revisions down to the ECB's forecast in December, potentially again in March. We're having Fed speakers that are now opening the door to the potential that you know, the next move is a cut and that could perhaps come sooner than the markets were originally expecting. Against that kind of a you know, dovish shift in the narrative then the the uk once again starts to look like a bit of a, a hawkish outlier um you know from a central bank reaction function and i think that too can help drive some of the underperformance that that we're expecting in the uk you know we have seen underperformance so far this week but i think it probably has further to go 
Um, and that's probably enough this week. Uh, let's wrap it up there. <laughs> Thank you both for joining me. Thank you to our listeners for listening in. Just a reminder, if you liked today's episode, please don't forget to hit the like button and click subscribe so you can get the latest episodes as soon as they're available. Thanks. See you next week.